0: Uh, the Justice Wars. Now, we're looking at the idea of justice, and, uh, you know, there are many voices and many groups now that are calling out for justice. You've heard it on your phone and your apps and your news newscasts and all that, but when they call out for justice, what do they mean, you know? Because truthfully, many are calling out for justice, and they should be pleading for mercy instead, you know, really and truly. Um, because if true justice comes, a, a lot of the folks crying out for justice now may be on the wrong side of it, you know, that's... Uh, but, you know, we're all having to walk through all this together. Now, let me, let me just start with, by saying this. And there's a whole lot of things I want to say, and I've got maybe one, maybe one more study on this. I'm not sure, and then we're going to launch into another series. Uh, let me say this. You cannot get to justice by committing an injustice. You know what I'm talking about? Is that, that, that makes perfect sense to you. Don't, don't, you, can, you can never get to the right thing by doing a wrong thing. And, We've got an old saying that, that you, you're very well familiar with. Two wrongs don't make a way. I mean, that, that math just doesn't work, does it? You, if something wrong is done to you and then you strike back and do something wrong, it doesn't make that right, even if you're justified in doing the wrong. You know, we see a lot of things going on. A lot of people crying for justice and then doing a lot of things in the streets of our cities and things of that nature that uh, absolutely is is... Worse than what they're actually protesting. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. But it's got to be said. You can't get to justice by committing an injustice, all right? Now, so what does the Bible say about justice? That's what we're looking at. What, what's the scripture say? And, and we're, we're connecting these dots. Justice and righteousness are linked in the scripture. Justice is about fairness. It's about equality. But it's tied to righteousness because it's the idea of the right thing being done. And and we've looked at that word righteousness. If you were to take all the the suffixes off of righteousness, you're just left with the word right. So righteousness has to do with the idea of right and wrong and truth, you know. Then we looked at the idea also that sin and injustice are linked. It's linked in this way that whenever sin is committed, an injustice always happens. But also whenever an injustice happens, sin is always committed. So those, those two are linked as well. Now. Look over here in Romans 14, 17. This is one of our favorite scriptures in the church I pastored for a long time. I had it, this scripture written right on the front of a, a had a big acrylic pulpit and right on the front was this idea of this scripture right here. Uh, it says this, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's these three dynamics about the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is built on. It's built on righteousness. That, that's kind of a, a word that you'll come across. You may not use it unless you're talking about the righteous brothers. You may not use that word anytime in your vocabulary. But it's, it's a really, really important Bible word. And you'll see it time and time and time again. And in fact, Jesus is called the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. Or the light of righteousness, we could even say. Uh, righteousness. And, and when things are done right... They're only done right in the kingdom of God. In fact, the kingdom of God is the solution to all this chaos that's going on. Mm -hmm. It's our solution. Whenever things are done right, then there's peace, right? And whenever there's peace, it cultivates joy. And the kingdom of God has all of these things tied in together. And then interesting, Jesus is called the son of righteousness. He's also called the prince of peace. And he's also seen as the joy giver. He, He said, my joy I give to you. You know, all of that. All right. So we, the kingdom of God is our answer. Here's another idea as we open these thoughts up. Haggai 2, 7. The prophet speaking for the Lord, it says this, I will shake all nations. Talking about the Lord. I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So right here, Messiah is called the desire of all nations. Say that with me. The desire of all nations. Now, this is what we get out of that. The desire of all nations. The the king that every nation is looking for. The one that's going to do righteousness. The one that's going to bring peace and prosperity to the land, to the people's lives, to their homes. Bring protection to their families. All of those kind of things. The scripture teaches us very plainly that Jesus is that king who is the desire of all nations. They just don't know it yet. Jesus is the king, I say it like this, Jesus is the king that everybody wants. You know, it's our job as as believers to go out, that's part of what evangelism is, is to get the good news out that, hey, Jesus is the king that you're looking for. All the folks that are crying and and hollering for justice and doing all the things and and ranting and raving all all about all the things and injustices that they, they perceive and all those kind of things, you know, Jesus really is the answer to all of that. He's the heart cry. He's the king and the leader. They're, they're protesting leaders, trying to get leaders to resign and all that kind of thing. Jesus is the leader that everybody's looking for, whether they're all the way over to the far left or all the way over to the far right. Jesus is the king that is the desire of all nations. So think about that. Now, when, That'll help you when you understand that. When you go talk to people, there's a longing in their soul for the Lord, and they don't even know it. And as the old song says, they're looking for love in all the wrong places, you know, that kind of thing. I don't want to get to singing my country songs tonight. You know, you don't want me to do all that. But Jesus is literally, that'll help you when you start sharing the gospel. Because literally the gospel is everything that everybody that has ever lived is really looking for. And we got to get better at telling that story and helping people come back into that. Now, God wants righteousness and justice to reign. Do you believe that? He wants it to reign in our in our lives personally. He wants it to reign in our families. He wants it to reign in our cities, in our governments, uh, in our nation, in the nations of the world. But, but how is that going to happen? Let's let's do just pull some things that we've talked about already and just add some new things tonight. We've we talked about foundations. A just and righteous society does not just happen. It, it doesn't just happen. There, there are foundations or there are elements. Uh, that, that need to be put in place in order for things to be done right. Now, I, I like to think of these foundations. I didn't talk about this before, but I like to think of these foundations as vehicles for kingdom values or, or maybe a vehicle for just society. And, and there's what, one, two, three, four, five of these that we're, we're covering right now. We talked about this before. God and his word. That's, that's, that's foundational. That's cornerstone stuff right there. Having an understanding of God, a relationship with God, and following His word, hearing His word, doing His word—that's all foundation to a just and right society. Then we talked a little bit about self-government, right? And Paul, you said that it's it's like self-discipline. That's that's a person learning to govern themselves. When a person comes into to relationship with God and His word, they learn to govern themselves or to to walk in self-control. And we're still all in that journey, learning and growing and having to seek forgiveness and sinning and doing right. We're all still in that cycle of life that we're working out, but we're learning to govern ourselves. And with self-government comes also self-responsibility. Do you realize that? And we're all going to be held accountable for our our choices, our our decisions, our sins that are not forgiven. We're we're, we're going to be held accountable. That's important, isn't it? Because we're we're tending to lose some traction here in the idea that people are responsible for their actions. You see us losing traction on that a lot? In fact, we're living in a society where people are not being governed by themselves nor the civic government. And look what's happening. just more chaos building on top of more chaos. But a self-governing society, and I mean you and I making choices on our own to do the right thing, is literally the bedrock of a free society. You realize that? Because if the government has to step in and tell you what to do, the first thing they're gonna take away is your freedom, I can promise you that. And they may be justified in doing it too, now, So self-government is a real cornerstone, it's a real foundation for us to live in a, a just and right society. Then there's the idea of family government. Now we, we've, we've done some study on some material, we looked at some, some uh, websites and things like that to, of some of these protest groups and, and uh, activist groups. They literally want to redefine and dismantle the family as as Scripture lays it out. Scripture lays it out very plain. A family, ideally in God's eyes, is a mother and father coming together in holy matrimony till death do you part, right? And then if the Lord wills and is able and physically able to have biological children and many of them adopt as well, and then the mother, father, and children are the idea of what family is in society. Now, you may or may not get married, now, but you still have family maybe that you come from and all that kind of thing. But the idea of family is being redefined nowadays, isn't it? Of what it is. And in God's eyes and in the church's eyes, I mean the real church, the true church, family will never be a man and a man and a child. It can never be a woman and a woman and, and children. It cannot be that. Now, they can be recognized by the government and for tax purposes and all the kind of things as family, but as far as scriptural talking, I mean it, it's very plain that when God created Adam and Eve, God created male and female, He created them. And you know that's, that's actually a radical I, I'm, I'm talking very I mean, this society has been like this for thousands and thousands of years, actually. That's not even under scrutiny. Until now. You don't realize that? That's how crazy things have gotten. That I can say that a family is made up of a man who loves a woman, who gets married and has children. And in today's circles, that right there is considered hate speech. Are you serious? Are you serious? We have come to that point. Are you? That's insanity. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that, that kind of clarity should be understood. But, you know. And anyway and we don't we're not trying to discriminate against anybody we're just talking about truth and foundations of what it makes to, to have a good society and a, and, a, and a just society a right society but you realize how radical the statement i just made is it's, it's insane isn't it so family is real important because family is is literally to be like the school where you and I learn to self-govern and if we can't learn to self-govern properly mom and dad step in and help you govern yourself my parents were really good at that. <laughs> I told you before, my daddy believed, he still believes it to this day, that there's a nerve that runs from your buttocks to the, your brain. And if you hit the buttocks just right, the brain is affected immediately. And it'll help you make better decisions. And, and, and anybody's parents know about that nerve that's connected? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it works, I can promise you. I can promise you. <laughs> yeah, you got one in the back of your head too which you just kind of hit it and it's just a trigger, you know. It helps, it helps. Family is where discipline begins to be set into a, a child that they learn to actually live a good and productive life, a right life, a righteous life, we could say. And family is also where we should learn a lot about God and His Word and how He interacts with us in our own lives. You know, the family is important, isn't it? It's huge. And I can promise you, in any kind of society, demographic, city, town, county, wherever, there is a breakdown in family, there's a breakdown in morality, there's a breakdown in prosperity and poverty and immorality will run rampant whenever there's a breakdown in family. And I'm talking about God's kind of family. You know that? I don't have time to get into all the statistics, but I could throw out statistics right now that show you that wherever the family breaks down, poverty is right behind it. Single parenthood and divorce are the biggest contributors to poverty in our land. You know what I'm talking about? And these are not things that we're saying to be controversial. Hey, if those are problems in our cities and towns and and we need to, as the church, we need to minister into those things and help folks. And and take up some of the, the, you know, fill in some of the gaps. Help them. Help them. Alright, so family is really important to this whole idea of what it is to be a just society. Now let's get into this idea of of kingdom values. Now what does it look like when kingdom values govern or rule a life? What does that look like? What what does it look like when, when people do the right thing? When people are at peace with themselves, people are at peace with God, people are at peace with each other, where actually people do love their neighbors as they would want to be loved, where people actually do love God or or try to pursue God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? What what does it look like in a society where love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control, all of those kind of things are the fruit of the Spirit? What does that look like in a society when all of those kingdom values begin to work, where morality is there and, and, you know, fidelity and faithfulness, all those things are there? What does that look like in a society? Well, it looks like the kind of place you want to live. It looks like Mayberry, he said. It, 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 it looks like Jesus, doesn't it? It looks like Jesus. It looks like somebody who is going around doing good and being good as, as well. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. And You know what? The fruit of the Spirit, as it hangs off of the tree of your life, the fruit of the Spirit, as it hangs off, and you're able to feed the people around you with that kind of love and that kind of joy and that kind of peace, you know, the, you bear fruit... And what do you do with fruit? What do people do with fruit? They eat it. So if we're all a bunch of fruit trees, not fruit loops, but fruit trees, it's a big difference. <laughs> if we're all a bunch of fruit trees in a community, then that community is nurtured in such a way that there is a, 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 a supply of joy. There is a supply of love. There is a supply of gentleness and kindness and humility and self-control. There is that kind of thing, because that's what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, with those kingdom values. And what we're seeing right now today is there is a values crisis going on. There is a moral crisis in our country. And, and, you know, as well as I do, it didn't just happen two months ago. It's been going down that path a long time. You know what I'm talking about? For generations now. And it's been, that slope's been getting slicker and slicker and steeper and steeper. All right? Now, going back to these... Elements here, God and his word, I say foundations, let's say it like that. These foundations are these vehicles for these values to get to our society. God and his word, self-government, family, church, and civil government. Which one does the enemy attack first and foremost? Just, just play devil's advocate. If, God, if, if you could attack any one thing that would affect everything, what would you attack? Family. Well, family that would be a good choice. That's what, certainly on, on, on the target list, that's for sure. But if, if you could attack any one of those five and it affects everything else, which one would you go after? If we go, go to Genesis chapter 3, we'll tell you how the enemy did it. Okay, this is how he worked his way in, this is what he did. Now, the serpent was more cunning, Genesis 3 1. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And this is the very first temptation. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden. What was the very first thing he attacked? He attacked God and his word, didn't he? Now, now go back to, to what we were just talking about. If he attacks God and his word, then, then, then I don't get the proper information or help to self-govern myself. The family begins to break down. The church well, is extremely weakened without God. And civil government is going to collapse into socialism and communism without God and his word. You see what I'm talking about? So that's, that's really what's at heart right now. And it's, it's actually going, the, the battlefront's going to shift. You've got a lot of battlefronts going on right now. But I can just tell you very, very soon, probably before the election, the battlefront is going to shift towards the church and attack God and his word. It's already happening, really. It's been happening a long time. It's been happening in our school system for a very, very long time, you know? And if the enemy can knock this one out, knock God and his word out of the first and foremost position of people's lives and minds, he's won a big victory in society. You know what I'm talking about? Now, now what we're going to talk about now is, is the church. Let's talk a little bit about the church and then we're going to get into some civil government, government stuff tonight. The church is critical to a just and righteous society. So now we're just adding this other building. I would like to talk more about the family. I'd like to talk more about self-government. You can go do some personal study. That There's a ton said about family and government. Self-government. Government. Church government. The church is critical to a just and righteous society. I'm talking about the true church. I'm not talking about just a building where people just come and gather. I'm talking about a place where God is worshiped where believers are gathered, believers in Jesus are gathered together and come together for the sake of their own lives and the sake of, of, of the Lord and his kingdom and for the sake of their own communities. That's what I'm talking about. The gathering, the church is about the gathering. It's about the people, right? And now let's, let's see how the church relates to all these others, okay? Because all these kind of dovetail into each other, some, some shape, form, or fashion. Let's look and see how the church relates to all these other five, okay? Start with the church, God and his word. Now, church is to be a gathering where God is loved and worshiped you know that it's where we're taught about God and his love we're taught taught about how to love God and how to love one another the church is a gathering where God is loved and his word is taught so the church is really important to this whole whole functioning of a a just society what, what about the church and the idea of self-government, teaching people how to, how to govern themselves and make right decisions? What about, how, how does the church play a part in that? That we're given the knowledge, the church is to be giving out the knowledge of right and wrong to help us make wise decisions and govern our lives. You know, where, where else are you going, let me ask you this, where else are you going to get teachings out of Genesis, teachings out of Corinthians, teachings out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John? Where else are you going to get that? I know you can go to the bookstore, and I know you can get some valuable resources. I know you can go on the Internet. But is all of that really the same as the gathering of the saints and and the centrifuge or the power that comes together when the saints gather together in the name of the Lord? Nothing can replace that. You can get all the Internet church you want. Nothing can replace the gathering together of the saints. I'm talking about in person where I can see you eyeball to eyeball. You know what I'm talking about? And thank God we've got a little bit of technology where we're able to share some things and all that kind of thing, but nothing will be able to replace our gatherings, I can promise you. And I promise you, I don't care how bad it gets, if we got to surround ourselves and go over here by the creek and stand under a tree and do what we're doing, that's okay. If we have to, we have to. But church is a place where we learn the knowledge of right and wrong. It's a place where disciples are made. And in, in the idea of family, the church is so important to holding up the fabric of our society together in the, in the sense of family. Because the church world is, to help, is, is there to help strengthen and equip the family. Really, we, we, that's part of what we're doing. And really and truly, church is a family, isn't it? it it's, it's a family of families that we call spiritual family. And it's really, really important to the whole scheme of what God is doing in the earth now, here's an interesting idea of tying the church into civil government. See, we've had the idea of the separation of church and state pounded into our minds so much. You know what? It's not even in our Constitution. It's not in any, any, any of our founding documents, not whatsoever. It was in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Anabaptist Association many, many years ago. It's not in any of our founding documents. But I can tell you a nation that it does have the separation of church and state in their founding documents. You know what nation that is? Soviet Union. that's <laughs> just, just crazy to me that we've adopted some of that. Now the church in relationship to civil government. Church is to teach and assist the leaders of the civil government about right and wrong and what God desires. You've heard this the, the saying, speak truth to power. Have you heard that lately? Like there's a lot, of, a lot of people saying those kind of things now, to speak truth to power. You know, that's, that's the, one of the main roles of the church in relationship to civil government is to speak truth to power. You know, when the kings of old, when they had something that they needed to do and the decision to make, who did they call? Who are you going to call? that, 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 never mind. <laughs> who are you going to call? Who did they call? The prophets, didn't they? Because they wanted to get God's mind on what needed to be done. And here's the idea. Church is to serve, correct, and edify society and its leaders. We're called to do that. Doesn't it seem that that's kind of reversed now? Instead of church speaking truth to power, now the government is taking a different role and it's being reversed and now They're telling the church what it can and cannot do. I'm telling you, there's some serious changes happening now. It's a big deal. Because without this voice of truth in society that we call the church, with its preachers and leaders and believers, without that voice of truth speaking truth to power, power will absolutely run over the people, I can promise you. All right, there's much, much more we can say about the church. Let's, let's get into civil government. All right, you good? You all right? Everybody breathing now? Okay. And I want to look at a few scriptures here and just show you how, how the civil government, that the civil government, which we, we would know is our, like our, our, our Congress and um, presidential branch, executive branch. We know all the things about our civil government. The law enforcement will be included in our civil government as well. Uh, local governments of all kinds, from the Board of Education on to the, the mayor and all their offices and all those kind of things. Civil government's really important in God's economy. You don't know that? It's important, okay? Let's, let's see what Romans 13 says. And there's a lot here, so you, you're gonna have to do some, some more study on it, but there's a whole lot here in Romans 13. Starting verse number one. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's a whole lot to swallow right there sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Now here, here's an interesting thing. Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church. To believers who are underneath the thumb of an absolute maniac dictator. It's crazy now. As far as we know at the time of this writing... The Caesar that is in charge in Rome is Nero. The thing we know most about Nero, I mean, as far as biblical relationship here, Nero will soon be responsible for the death of Peter. I'm going to say the murder of Peter. And also we believe if if our, our traditions are correct, he'll be responsible for the murder of the man who actually wrote this, Paul. Okay. Isn't that something though? It says no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. It's a little hard to swallow sometimes, isn't it? And I I don't know where that sits with you, but sometimes when, when nations make bad choices and bad decisions and go away from God, one of the ways God judges nations is to give them the leaders that they deserve or the leaders that they long for. It happens time and time again in Israel's history, in biblical history. Okay. And in, in, in the time of the kings in, in the Bible days, in the time of the kings in the Old Testament times, there were many, many more wicked kings than there were good kings. So let's, let's keep going. Let's get some more information here. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Okay. Now, and there's a lot of that talk going on today, you know, not to trivialize this, this whole idea of what he's talking about, the authorities. But many of the things and incidences that are happening on our streets today are simply happening because people are resisting authority. You know what I'm talking about? And the scripture right here says that if you resist the authority, whether it be the law enforcement or whether it be the courts or whatever it might be, if you resist authority, the judgment that happens will be your own fault. You know, and I can tell you that the majority of the the things that happen, now there are officer-induced conflicts that happen sometimes from time to time, but they're very, very, very minimal. The most, talking about police brutality, the most of what people call police brutality is instigated through resisting of authority. It's just a fact. You know what I'm talking about? Listen to this. This is some good truth right here. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? What would you answer to that question? Do you want to not fear the authority? I mean, I don't want to walk around in fear of nothing. Do you? Here's the answer. If you don't want to be afraid of the police or the, any kind of civic government or anything like that, if you don't want to be afraid of the police, do what is good and you will have praise from the same. That's a pretty simple formula, isn't it? There's a but coming up, though. (laughs) This civil authority is God's minister to you for good. He's there for good. But if you do evil... Here's the but. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain... For he is God's minister, and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. But how can you alleviate that situation of wrath? How can you alleviate that? Do what's right. Do the right thing. Right? Okay. Now, that, this, this is really ABC stuff, really. But it's kind of, a, you could say this kind of stuff and people want to smack you in the face. Really. That's how bad we've gotten. That's how bad our society's gotten. Right. Verse 5. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Not only because he can drop the hammer, that sword he's talking about. He can drop that hammer on you. It's wrath. But you also ought to do right just because you want to sleep good at night. And doing right is just right. That's the main reason to do right, isn't it? Not because I'm going to get punished for it. I want to do... See, that's that self-governing thing again for conscious sake, right? That self-governing thing. And he says this. This is the part we don't like. This is the least favorite part of this whole verse, maybe in the whole Bible. For because of this, you also pay taxes. (laughs) Can't get no amens on that, but that's just the truth, right? Because of the need for the civil authorities, we pay taxes for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You see, that's, that's part of, this is part of our relationship to civil authorities. Okay? And if you want them off your back, just do what's right. Do what's right. Now, always the question always comes up whenever you read things like this, say, but what if the civil authorities are pushing you against God? What what, what do you do at that point? Or making you violate God's word? What what are we to do if the civil government is leading us? let's, Let's say this. Let's say that they all clamp down, which is happening in many, many parts of the world right now. What if civil government clamps... Clamps down and says, uh, you can't worship in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. What what if they do that kind of thing? Which they are doing that in many, many countries of the world. Yeah. That's when we buck the authority. That's when we buck the authority. And we can do it very humbly. And we can actually do it in the right way. Um, That hopefully peace will still be there. But we can still worship our God. And there's a lot more to be said, but I'd rather say some of that stuff over coffee if you want to talk about it. All right. Now, let's, let's get into this idea of civil government as dealing with the king. The Bible has some things to talk to the king about. Okay. In our case, this would be the president and maybe our top, top echelon of leaders. Okay. Top tier of leadership. Imagine, now listen, you're going to hear some principles and some things. Imagine if these things were followed by our leaders. Because the things that you're going to see right here, what's going to be listed out, is going to be like... This would be a great place to live, okay? Deuteronomy 17, 14, 14 through 20 of Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to Israel. This is just right before Joshua was getting ready to lead them into the promised land. Moses says this, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations that are around me. Moses kind of prophetically predicts that they're going, that's going to happen, which it does in the time of Saul. Okay? You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. First of all, it needs to be God's, God's man. One from among your brethren you shall set as a king over you. We, we kind of have that same law in our presidency, don't we? it has got to be a citizen, of, a, a natural born citizen, right? Okay, that's, that's the idea. That's pretty much where we get some of that from. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not, this king, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. In other words, don't go down to Egypt for nothing. Okay, later on, you'll see that Solomon actually violates that. Okay, And it cost him dearly. Why not go to Egypt for horses? Evidently, Egypt had the best horses. And they also knew how to make the best chariots, which were basically the tanks of their day. They had the best military fortress. And he said, I don't care how bad it gets and how bad you need it. Do not go to Egypt again for anything. Okay. Verse 17. Neither shall the king multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And we see Solomon. What did Solomon do as far as that multiplying wives? Oh, my Lord. (laughs) It's crazy. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Verse 18. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. Talking about the law of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This law. Handwrite a copy for himself of this book from the one before the priests and the Levites. Make sure it's, it's the right one, right copy. And it shall be with him, and he sh- this copy shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Verse number 20. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now imagine this. Imagine living in a place where your civic leaders, those who are over cities and governments and all those kind of things, it would be our application, presidents, congress members, all of those kind of things. Imagine if your civic leader, our civic leaders followed these, that they don't womanize. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't that they don't seek to get rich from their position. <laughs> it's almost comical, isn't it? In today's world. And don't, don't multiply money for yourselves. Don't do that. Don't use your position as an opportunity to make yourself rich. And what we have in our leadership today. In our, on national level. And, and some on, on smaller levels. People actually take those positions so that they can, you know, obtain wealth. And I saw, I saw a thing the other day that said, Congress doesn't need to be investigating a billionaire who became president. Who needs to be investigated is a bunch of congressmen who became millionaires while they were in office. I, I, I would vote for that m- measure for sure. So don't seek to get rich from your position, civic leaders. Handwrite your own personal copy of the Bible. Imagine that. Imagine if our leaders literally did, they took the Bible so seriously. And maybe let's just, let's just say we're New Testament believers. Let's just say they start with the New Testament and just deal with those 27 books of the New Testament. What if our leaders took it so serious, the word of God, and, and that being such a, a, a staple and the cornerstone of society that they handwrote their own personal copy of the Bible and they kept that handwritten copy with them at all times. They read it, studied it, and obeyed it every day. You think we'd be living in a different society? I'm, I'm just saying this is God's advice to those in power. Israel had a hard time following this, too, by the way. Don't allow yourself to get prideful, don't exalt yourself above your brethren, your citizens. And don't turn away from the scriptures in any way. That'd be a whole different society to live in, wouldn't it? Hmm. But that's God's word to the president, to the vice president, to all those who are in power. That would be God's word to them. It'd be nice if we followed that, wouldn't it? So there's some words to the king. Okay, let's, let's go and get a few words here to the judges. Okay, dealing with civil government. Judges are really important. Because judges are the ones, with, no matter from the smaller courts all the way up to the Supreme Court, judges are the ones who begin to shape decisions about right and wrong in society. They're really important. You know that? God's got a few things to say. Let's make the application to judges, politicians, lawmakers, and lawyers. Okay? They would all be kind of in that category of judges. Okay? So let's look at a few scriptures here. Deuteronomy 1, 12 through 17. How can I alone bear your problems? This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? I can't do all this by myself, Moses says. So the word came to him through Jethro, his father-in-law, to choose wise, understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. So what Moses did in order for the people to be governed properly is that he basically established a representative government. Do you see that? Okay, let's go to verse number 15. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers of your tribes. And if you go through and read some of the, some of the uh, uh, books of Moses, you will see some of those categories that they list some of those leaders out. You know? Verse 16. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously. There's that word again. Judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who is with him. Verse 17. You shall not show, to the judges now, to the people dealing with the law, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great, You shall not be afraid in any man's presence. So if you've got a matter that has to deal with a a, a rich man, you don't don't be afraid. You are not to be intimidated by him, not in one iota as a judge. Okay. For the judgment is God's. I I like to to hear say to the judge is that your judgment belongs to God and you belong to God. And this whole situation belongs. You just don't forget who's over you. You think you're over that situation. Don't you forget who's over you. That's really important. That kind of is important, isn't it? In the case that is too hard for you, bring to me, Moses says, and I will hear it. So Moses became the final judge, kind of like our Supreme Court would be in our land today. Let's get some more information here. Deuteronomy 6, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates. If you were to go to an ancient city, we could take you to some of those ruins today. The gates are very, very large, Okay, even in small cities, because at the city gates is the place that we would call our courthouse. At the city gates in Israel, the, the elders sit at the gates. Remember, there's, there's several stories of the Bible that they come to the city gates. And remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? Lot was at the city gates. That meant that he was a judge of some kind in the city of Sodom. Okay. They, So you will set them at your city gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge people with just judgment. There's a word just or justice. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You know that's true, isn't it? You think that ever happens? (laughs) You shall follow what is altogether just, there's that word again, justice, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Okay? You see, that's that's pretty self-explanatory. Now let's go to one more, one last one. Okay? One last one here. Leviticus 19, 15. This is really interesting the way this is worded. You shall do no injustice in judgment. Talking to judges again. Don't make decisions In an unjust manner. You shall not be partial to the poor. Nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Okay. Now now look at the wording right here. You shall not be partial to the poor. That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. Just to say it. Because. Sometimes our heart goes out. Sympathetically to folks that may be a little underprivileged. At that time. But God wants to set a standard of righteousness that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're a minority. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter your dialect. It doesn't matter your gender. If you do wrong, the decision is to be based upon right and wrong and not your socioeconomic status. Whether it be good or whether you be down on the. So, in other words, if a person steals something, and they're rich they still get judged right if a person steals something and they're poor they still get what they still get justice they still get judged right why is that because that's what's fair and what's right it's a good word for it right there that's what's fair and that's what's right okay now what we're we're seeing we're witnessing this in our society in this idea of what's called social justice which social justice is not real justice at all. You hear that term going around in church circles? Now they're starting to use it all kinds of places. Social justice is not justice at all because social justice says this. Well, if if he or she stole something because they're poor, instead of us judging them on the basis of right and wrong, let's take into account the fact that they had a hard life that their, their, their dad's no longer with them, uh, their, their mom maybe did this, or they're, they're in a, a poor situation, or their ethnic, ethnicity is of this stature. And now social justice says in the decision that the judge makes, all of that needs to be considered, all that subjectivity needs to be considered and brought into the decision, and we need to go easy on the folks who may have been descendants of certain other people. I'm not kidding you. I watched a thing just before I came to church tonight. The stuff that happened in Chicago this last few days where they went down that Miracle Mile right there. And I've been down there a couple times. It's an absolutely beautiful place. It's one of the best shopping districts in all the country, actually. And they went through there and they did $60 million. They said this report, $60 million worth of damage in an evening. And then the leaders of these movements Get to the microphone and said that they are just and right to do whatever they want. And this is reparations for us and our people. Are you serious? That's insanity. That's not reparations. That's stealing. That's criminal. You understand? And you know, truth and justice are laying dead right there in the streets, as Isaiah would say. People are not being held accountable. You know what I'm talking about? So if people are not being held accountable just because they're poor, or maybe they do have an underprivilege somewhere, that's not right. It, didn't, it doesn't. My status or your status in life doesn't change right and wrong at all. And that's what the scripture says, that the civil government has to take that stance. You may actually have reasons that you justify your behavior. But your reasons for your justification will never, ever change right and wrong. You know what I'm talking about? And if we lose the fabric of that, then you lose the fabric of order and justice in a society. You hear what I'm talking about? These things sound radical for me to say them today. But it's actually just ABC stuff of what it really is about. You know what I'm talking about? Now, just show you this last picture, we'll go. Oh, we got, we're good. We're not too late. You know who this is? This lady right here. You seen pictures of her in different places? Maybe in some books or maybe uh, courthouses and things of that nature. This lady justice, right? Now she's a mixture of some other, you know, Greek religion and things like that. And also some biblical truth. It's, it's a, but I wanted to show you this. This is kind of like a, a cornerstone symbol in our society today. This idea of lady justice. What what does she have in her hands? What is that? It's the scales of what? It's the scales of justice. It's where lady justice, who represents the civil government and civil authorities, the judges and all those kind of folks, and lawyers and the law givers, lawmakers, all that, that's the scales of justice. That's where she weighs in the balance the decision that needs to be made in this idea of right and wrong, okay? Now, what's this in her hand? Remember what we just said in Romans 13 that the civil authorities do not bear the sword in That sword represents the wrath that she's able to bring in a situation. Right? She's standing. It's interesting. She's standing right here on a book. Well, that's the law book. She takes her foundation stance upon the law. Right? You see this in some of the statues. Not all the statues have this, but there's a snake right there. And that snake is right under... The foot of justice. Because justice is there, as, as Romans 13 said, justice is there to be the avenger against evil. Right? And who in the Bible is always the serpent? Who is that? That's our adversary. Now notice this too. We, talked, we heard some things about partiality. This is just, this is just interesting truth. What's that, what's that on our eyes? Blindful. Why a Blindfold. She's, she's not partial. She's not partial to the rich. She's not partial to the poor. Her allegiance is to right and wrong, to justice. She may not be with some of her offspring. Huh? <laughs> What's that now? I said she may not be with some of her offspring. Huh? <laughs> true, true. Now, th- this idea of her not seeing. Okay? Somebody... Robs somebody, robs a store, something like that. In the eyes of justice, does it matter or should it matter if that person's white or black? Should it matter? It doesn't matter, does it? It's not supposed to anyway. All right. Let's wrap it up. So God his word, self-government, family government, church government, civil government, all that is to work together to make a right and just society. All that's supposed to work together. And as you can see, we have got a long ways to go, don't we? We've lost some traction in, in some of this. We lost some of the idea and revelation of what all, some of all this really is. And on top of that, we've got other people trying to come in and redefine or take away or add some of their own little things to it. All right. We need God to help us, don't we? Let's ask God to help us. Come on, let's pray. Father. We do want to live in righteousness, peace, and joy. But we know that that's all fruit of your kingdom. So we ask you to help us. Help us as citizens of your kingdom to be the best citizens of America that we possibly can be. So that we can help this great land be the beacon of light and the, the, the bastion of hope that it's been uh, for many, many generations now. Help us, Lord. Lord, we transgress the, the, the things, the principles and commandments that you've laid out. From ages past, we've transgressed that so many different ways, so many different times in this country, even in our own personal lives. And Lord, we just ask for your forgiveness for ourselves and for our country, that you would forgive us of our sins, and Lord, that you would heal our land, heal the fabric of our land, heal these foundations again. And if these foundations, Lord, be destroyed, we we don't have a prayer for a right and just society. We ask you to restore these foundations and give us the backbone, the knowledge, and the ability and the voice to be able to do some of this. At least locally, God. Help us. Help us. Give us your grace. Pour out your mercy upon us. Forgive us. And heal our land. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.